WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Science Friday is supported by Progressive. Now, most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. What if a climate change solution is as easy as burning up your old yard scraps? starts out as wood and as you can see when we come over here you can see what comes out the other end is biochar which is very high carbon very porous it's friday march 1st and just like every day today is science friday i'm sci-fi producer kathleen davis Biochar has been used by indigenous communities for centuries as a soil additive that can help crops grow, but it's gotten attention recently for its carbon-holding properties. We'll talk about that story in just a few minutes, but first, Ira talks to science journalist Tim Revel about the biggest science stories of the week, including the wildfires in Texas and a weird new plant discovered in Japan. Back in ancient Greece, the philosopher Pythagoras proposed a mathematical argument for what music sounds best to the ear. According to legend, Pythagoras said listeners preferred music played in certain perfect mathematical ratios. This concept has persisted in modern Western music, specifically for building harmonies. But it turns out that Pythagoras was wrong. Joining me to break this down and other science stories of the week is Tim Revel, executive editor for New Scientist and host of the New Scientist Weekly podcast. He comes to us from New York City. Welcome back, Tim. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, before we go disputing what Pythagoras said, explain to me what he meant by saying music sounds best when notes are in certain mathematical ratios. Yeah, so there's this story about Pythagoras that apparently he was walking along the street in ancient Greece and he heard blacksmiths hammering on metal and noticed that certain combinations of the ringing metal sounded more pleasant than others. This led him to the idea that there are certain frequencies that sound best to the human ear 
combine together when they are in simple mathematical ratios. So for example, when those frequencies are in a ratio of three to two, that's known as a perfect fifth. And when they're in the ratio of four to three, that's known as a perfect fourth. Now, this idea has really become canon for Western musical theory. And so it shapes how instruments are tuned and which chords musicians play. Studies have shown that that is wrong, is what you're saying. Yeah. So those those notes, they do sound good together. But what is certainly not true is that there is some universal mathematical rule that says this is the only music that sounds good together. In fact, we're much more sophisticated than that. So a team at the University of Cambridge, they looked to really study this and they surveyed over 4,000 people in the UK and South Korea, testing them on their perceptions of music. And to do this, they played them different chords in different ratios and asked them what they thought sounded best. And if Pythagoras was right, well, it should have been these very simple mathematical ratios that rose to the top. But actually, listeners seem to have a very slight preference for chords in imperfect ratios. Huh. But you know, there's so many different kinds of musical tastes around the world, isn't there? Yeah. So that's why this, I think that's why this should, shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, because non-Western music has long been much more open to chords using less mathematically simple ratios. And they have instruments right. that are... Uh, that are tuned in such a way that that makes it more easy. So really what this says is that across the world, musical tastes are more sophisticated than Pythagoras would have us believe. Let's move on to our next story. And this one is about one of my favorite topics, those batteries, especially for electric cars. What's new here? Yes, as I'm sure you know, this is one of your favorite topics, electric car batteries. One of the ways in which they uh, are lacking a little is that when the temperature is very cold, they tend to lose charge very quickly. And this actually happened to a colleague of mine recently on a skiing trip in Colorado, where driving an electric car, it ran out of charge a little quicker than she was expected and left, left her stranded. So what's happened now is that a team at Xi'an University in China has made a breakthrough that could help prevent this kind of problem in the future. They've identified a new electrolyte, which is a particularly important part of the battery in which charged particles flow back and forth. That seems to perform and hold up much better at really cold temperatures. Hmm. So how does this work? I mean, how much better is it? They've done initial experiments with it and also a whole bunch of simulations. And in some tests at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit, so extremely cold, the battery performed 10,000 times better than a standard battery electrolyte. Wow. So really amazing. Wow. That's obviously way colder than most cars will ever experience, but it really shows the potential of the electrolyte. Yeah. If you're driving into South Pole, this is the battery. <laughs> yeah. This is the one you want. You. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's good, interesting research that we can always learn more about batteries. Let's, let's move to some big environmental news out of Texas. And I'm talking about this incredible Smokehouse Creek fire that has become the largest wildfire in Texas history. Tell us about this. Yeah, the fire has burned over a million acres in Texas and 25,000 in Oklahoma. And it's the second largest wildfire in US history and the largest in Texas's history. And local firefighting groups are saying that it's only 3% contained at the moment. And homes have been burned down, lampposts melted, power lines disrupted, and two people have died as well. And is it near any of the large cities in Texas? Yeah, it's just north of the city of Amarillo, and it's in the Texas panhandle part of the state. And it's not under control at all, is it? No, it's it's not under control. And uh, today, the conditions are meant to be a little bit colder, so slightly better for containing the fire. But 
in Texas, they've been experiencing a high heat, high wind, and that is really contributing to the fire. And those conditions are expected to return tomorrow. So yeah. the next 24 hours are particularly important. Sounds like another piece of evidence for climate change in hot, dry places. Yeah, all those high temperatures, high winds, they're all things that climate change is contributing to and will only occur more frequently. Yeah. Okay. Up next is a tech story about YouTube. In the past, we all know that the platform used to send people down extreme political rabbit holes. But is it true the algorithm has changed now? Yeah, this is a rare uh, good news story for about our algorithmic overlords. Wow. Yeah, as you say, YouTube has long had this problem where the video it recommends seemed to very quickly push people towards extreme political content. But in 2019, it made some changes to its algorithm to try to prevent this. And what's happened now is that an independent group of researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology has been investigating whether this actually worked. And so to do this, they compared the paths from video to video of a typical user when they've got complete control compared to the path recommended by YouTube's algorithm. And what they found is that YouTube is now actually much less likely to nudge you towards radicalized content than if you just have free reign, reign yourself to find things to watch. You know, there's got to be a monetary reason for this because, you know, Google that owns YouTube is huge money maker. Uh, I imagine they went through this and said, hey, maybe if we change the algorithms, we might help people a little more. They might like us. We might get more people. Yeah, that, that could definitely be it. It's also uh, when these uh, platforms become uh, radicalizing places, obviously lawmakers look at them a little more closely. So maybe that's mm. part of it too. I think you got that. So this poses the question, how responsible are tech platforms for serving up content that could radicalize users, right? That's a bit. That's a big question. And one of the things YouTube has said in this is that there's, there's obviously two parts to this. There's content that is... Um, radical by uh, someone's view, but then there's content that YouTube actually says shouldn't be allowed on its platform at all. And one of the things the company says is that according to its own data, it's now only less than 0.1% of uh, watches that are actually people viewing content that violates YouTube's own policies. So they're doing a better job of yeah. weeding out the videos it says shouldn't be allowed. All right, let's shift gears a bit and uh, revisit the saga of the Odysseus Moonlander. Now, it was a, literally a week ago we talked about the launch. We were going on the air. We talked about a successful landing. But now it appears uh, under analysis it wasn't as successful as we all thought, right? That's correct, yeah. So it, Odysseus, uh, some people have nicknamed it OD, it landed on the moon, making it the first American spacecraft to land on the moon in over 50 years. But it didn't quite go to plan. OD is on the lunar surface, but on its side. So its antenna was supposed to be pointing directly towards Earth to transmit data, but it's not, which means that getting data back from it has been slower than expected. And its solar panels have been working. That's uh, one good part of it. But now, a week later, it's actually lunar night on the moon. So it's experiencing very dark and cold conditions. And that was always expected. But it's not actually designed to survive those. So at the end of lunar night in two weeks' time, uh, we may hear from Odie, but this may be the last we hear from it. Wait, wait a minute. So it landed a week ago, knowing that it's going to be colder than it's made to operate. <laughs> and we knew that going in. I mean, yeah, we knew that going in. The, the main objective here was really, could it land softly on the ah. moon and send back some data? And I think you can say it mostly did that. Obviously, it wasn't perfect, but it mostly yeah. did that. 
Well, we'll soon be penning an ode to Odie. Excuse me <laughs> for that. Uh, well, you know, we love speaking of weird stuff here on Sci-Fi, and this next story I know is no exception. It's wild. A, a new genus of plant has been discovered in Japan, and it's a very strange one. Describe it, please. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost indescribable, this thing. It kind of looks more like a squid or an alien than a plant. Really? Yeah, part of the reason it looks so weird is that it spends the vast majority of its time underground. It only pops up once uh, a year for about a week. And it feeds on fungus. So it doesn't need chlorophyll, that green pigment that many plants have. And so that means it's pigmentless and it has this very strange pale color and sort of looks a bit like a star. It was found on the island of Kyushu in June uh, 2022, that's in Japan, by an amateur botanist. But it's now been confirmed as a completely new genus mm. uh, for the first time. Wow. If it's just been discovered, I can't imagine there are many around. I mean, right? I mean, how many do we think there might be? Yes. So far, they've found five of them, and they reckon that perhaps the entire population might just be 50 plants. 50 plants could live by themselves and still reproduce and keep going. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. pretty amazing. That is amazing. Okay. Speaking of amazing, we have a bonus question time. Our last story is about genes and more environmentally friendly ways to dye them. I mean, is the genes dyeing industry not quite a perfect fit? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Genes, there are there are four billion pairs of genes manufactured every year. So it's a huge uh, industry. And the dyeing process itself is actually not very environmentally friendly at all. It's blue denim in particular is dyed using indigo, along with quite a few harmful chemicals that are part of the process. And that leads to toxic fumes and pollution in wastewater. What's happened now is that a team from the Technical University of Denmark has come up with a new process for dyeing genes that uses a natural precursor to indigo called Indican. And they estimate that the environmental impact of this new process is 92% less than the usual one. Wow. So what are the chance we'll be seeing this anytime soon? Well, with with all of these things, there's a huge industry already using this other process. So there's some time to there'll be some time to convert it into something that could be manufactured on a much bigger scale. But one really interesting part of it is rather than the genes actually being dyed initially by Indican, they once they the Indican has been applied, the color changes afterwards. So you could imagine a future where you buy a pair of jeans that are not yet blue, but once they've been out in the sun, they turn the blue color that they will eventually stay. Wow, that is cool. Tim, you always bring us good stuff. Thanks for taking time to be with us today. Thanks very much for having me. Tim Revel, executive editor for New Scientist and host of the New Scientist Weekly podcast. He comes to us from New York. WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. 
great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll be inviting everyone over. From barbecues to girls' night, the kids can even host their friends. Whoa, it smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. On this program, we are always on the lookout for climate change solutions, and we found one way up in Maine where some entrepreneurs are banking on biochar. This is a charcoal-like substance. It's been used for centuries to enhance soil, and recently it's gained appreciation for its carbon-capturing properties. Joining me to talk about biochar is Murray Carpenter, a science journalist based in Belfast, Maine. He reported this story for Maine Public Radio. Welcome back to Science Friday, Murray. Thanks, Ira. Glad to be here. All right, so tell me how you make biochar. What is it? Well, basically, you know, I visited this plant that they're, where they're making biochar up in Maine's North Woods uh, in Greenville near Moosehead Lake. And what they do is they take wood chips, like low-value wood products that might be left over from uh, lumber production or the tops and limbs from pulpwood production. And it goes into kind of a hopper and then it goes into an oven and it's burned at very high temperatures, like up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit and low oxygen conditions. This is called pyrolysis. And so the wood chips go in at one end, and Pat Jones, president of, of Clean Main Carbon, he described it to me this way. Starts out as wood, and as you can see when we come over here, you can see what comes out the other end is biochar, which is very high carbon, very porous, very good for agriculture. And so we turn nice white wood chips into black carbon. And, and then what do you do with it? Well, that's the interesting thing is, is biochar seems to have some pretty good agricultural properties. You know, it's it's inert and it's stable. I mean, scientists call it recalcitrant. So it, it basically, it wants to stay in its carbon form for a long time. But increasingly, people in Maine are looking at it as, as an agricultural amendment. So it stores the CO2 that was in the logs of the wood chips. And so a lot of it's not released back into the atmosphere. Yeah, you're basically pulling this carbon out of the carbon cycle for some period. It may be decades, it may be centuries, but you're pulling it out of the carbon cycle for a long time. It's not immediately going up into CO2, or at least less of it is. Of course, some some is being, uh, there's some CO2 generated in, in burning and some in transportation. Right. Yeah, increasingly, people are hoping it'll be used as an agricultural amendment. And I talked to Jonathan Foley. He's the director of Project Drawdown. And, you know, they, they're looking at sort of science-based climate solutions. And he basically thought that biochar can have, it's not a silver bullet for as a climate solution, but it's sort of a piece of silver buckshot. 
And we can put that in farm fields. We can bury it in old mines. We can bury it in the ground. And it should last for hundreds, if not thousands of years under the right circumstances. So it's a pretty clever kind of hybrid between nature and some engineering that might be a pretty good little piece of silver buckshot. That's really cool. As I said, biochar has been around for a long time, just not necessarily known as biochar. I mean, it's long been used in indigenous communities to fertilize the ground for planting, right? But what are the benefits for the soil? Yeah, the benefits are that it, you know, although it's inert, it does, it retains water and it retains nutrients. So here in Maine, they're looking at it for particularly three in three different areas, uh, in the blueberry barrens down east and in potato fields up north, and also as possible remediation for some pollutants. And so in the blueberry barrens, uh, we're increasingly seeing, these are sandy soils, and we're increasingly seeing sort of flashy, heavy rains when they come and then long droughty periods in between. If you have something that has better water retention, it can improve those uh, agricultural soils. And so um, the other very intriguing area is the idea of remediating problems from pollutants such as PFAS. It appears that biochar may bind up pollutants in the soil and make it harder for plants to take up those pollutants uh, into, into crops. So there are a number of uh, intriguing areas of research, but basically it's really around this idea that it retains moisture, and it retains nutrients. Yeah. Well, we know how important blueberries are in Maine, right? So it's an important, uh, it could be an important, useful item for them. Uh, but let's look at the grand scheme of things. How much of a dent could biochar put on our carbon capturing goals? Well, I think it's never going to be a huge, uh, a huge dent. Let's say that. Um, it. We know it, it can. I mean, it's definitely locking up, sequestering some carbon. Uh, it's hard to say how much. place I visited in Greenville is producing about 1,200 tons a year. Another plant that's coming online soon hopes to produce about the same amount. It's, it's a small uh, climate solution. It's definitely sequestering some carbon. Right. And it definitely has some agricultural benefits. So people are pretty excited about this. And they should be because every little bit helps in this climate crisis we're in. Right, Murray? Every little bit helps. And this is just one more little bit for sure. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, Ira. Murray Carpenter, science journalist based in Belfast, Maine. He reported this story for Maine Public Radio. And that's all the time that we have for today. A lot of folks helped make the show happen, including... Rasha Uridi. Dee Petersmith. Sandy Roberts. Shoshana Buxbaum. And many more. On Monday, we'll talk about what's going on with the measles outbreak in Florida. But for now, I'm Sci-Fi producer Kathleen Davis. Have a great weekend. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's toilet bowl cleaner disinfects both the toilet brush and bowl for two-in-one disinfection, killing 99.9% of viruses and bacteria. <sighs> Don't just clean, Lysol clean. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy 
is our best policy.